0: we want to train founders to be 10x when they are today. So they don't need us too much. And if you're not willing, if you're not open to getting help, coach is not for you. You need, you need something more. But I'm not a therapist. I'm still the same guy. I still seek title and money. But the one thing that's changed on significantly is my intention to serve clients to the best of my ability has skyrocketed. And then your salespeople, your product team, your marketing team, no matter how small or big your startup, they're all aligned on that messaging. And there's no confusion around what the customers think that you do, what your product actually does, and the results and the customer's success. But holy crap, this shit shows up on my feed every day. I'm like, man, so we are like, oh, my MR increased by $10 today. I never thought this was possible. I'm like, bro, two weeks ago, you said the same thing about your MR. Can you stop? And he's going to post like screenshots of his MRR chart. I'm like, this guy makes more money than me. I'm jealous. The same time, I'm annoyed, but I still respect them a lot for the hustle. Like, before I even say that, I just want to say, man, like with your team at Parallax, I don't know what the hell it is, but you guys all have this fantastic fucking energy. And I hate the word energy, but it, the word is actually the energy. Like it's this fucking vibe. Like I don't know what do you guys do or where you guys eat in the morning, but whenever I talk to you guys, I am never bored. I see like we're gonna like build shit together. It's this energetic refreshing sobering feeling whenever i talk to you guys over video like chris had it pavel had it eagle had it you have it dimitri has it it's insane hi
1: everybody welcome to another episode of ship it and sip it i'm very excited to have mash here he's a founder from the company sparrow which is providing founders with guidance to reach product market fit and so today uh, i am very happy to have a deep dive on product market fit with mash and how sparrow and his other company hire cmo
0: helps founders
1: around the world to reach their goals mash how are you doing today
0: i'm doing fantastic and i'm just very excited to be doing this on a friday morning very refreshing actually yeah, well, it's Friday morning, your time.
1: I'm still having coffee on Friday evening here. So let's dive right into Sparrow then. Uh, you tweeted recently that you were looking for some new coaches to join Sparrow in May. Uh, and along with that tweet and request, you said uh, that that you have to pass my bullshit meter. So what are some of the triggers for your bullshit meter for uh, coaches for, for Sparrow?
0: That's, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, so maybe a bit of background. So Sparrow provides coaching for founders to eat by like it. That's the pitch. On when I first started, I was younger than my home. And so to be 26-year-old that filtering coaches were 35 or 40. That was very intimidating. for me. And I was very scared of asking them filtering questions in the beginning. So when I first started Sparrow, I onboarded fantastic people, but there were really terrible coaches. And the first... $30 that I was paid as part of Sparrow a long time ago. The founder had a really hard time. He's like, Bash, coach is okay, but like this is not good advice. Gave me a reality check. And ever since then, I made myself realize, John, that in order to serve my customers well, my product is my people. And regardless of how nervous or ashamed or shy I am, I need to put aside those personal issues and trauma or whatnot. And really be objective when filtering out these out these coaches, right? So to answer your question, my bullshit test is what the hell have you accomplished, Mr. Aspiring Coach? Like why why should a course listen to you? And I don't I don't I don't care how much your startup's making today. I want to know what how you were involved when you're comfortable like the to war. What did you do? Were you on the product side? Were you on the sales side? Were you on the marketing side? What was that journey like? And these are very investigative questions that I have to do, John, because once they're in my circle, they get tons of intros from other founders. I consistently keep sending very highly qualified founders their way to be coached. Right. So, number one is qualifications, and I don't mean how much business are you bringing in. I'm um, I'm saying what did you do to go from zero to one bootstrap? Like, how did you go from zero dollars in revenue to a hundred to five hundred gym. Most coaches on Sparrow are exited, or they bootstrap to six seven figures in annual revenue, or they're fantastic marketers with consistently scaled businesses in the past. So that's number one qualification. Number two is Are you a good person to be around? Are you someone who just keeps yappering on and telling founders what they should do? Or do you encourage founders to think deeply about their problems? Because if you're telling founders what to do, unless it's something very obvious, it's generally not the best idea. Because as a coach, you're supposed to make them think deep. And lastly, One of the biggest KPIs in the ad, John, here is ultimately a founder shouldn't need a specific one coach for their one phase of their startup for more than three or six months. That's how I see it. So the coaches, in a way, work to kind of replace themselves by integrating their thoughts and their thinking in the founder's mind. And that's a philosophy that we hold very dear to our hearts. We want to train founders to be 10x what they are today so they don't need us too much. That's that's how we think it's. it.
1: Awesome. Well, that's a great picture of the coaching side of Sparrow. Now, I'm curious uh, what stage or kind of, of founder do you most often work with and are you trying to attract to your services at Sparrow?
0: Yeah. So, what I've realized, John, after many bad and good discovery calls, is there's two buckets of founders who are best fit with Sparrow. Number one is you are funded. Five to six figures, you have it in your back pocket. doesn't matter if you don't have any funded. You're very driven. Um, and so you're willing to kind of spend that money in the like avenues to get out to the MR, market But The second type of founders is where it doesn't matter if you're funded or not. Even if you're a boot shop, you're over a 5K MRR. And the reason for that, John, is when you're at a 5K MRR, you've been punched enough by the market and by the world to understand that you need help. What I've noticed is there's often this tiny sliver of arrogance for super technical developers who have built a product. They're maybe at a thousand MRR and they think they're the shit. The problem with those people is because they're so deep into their own little bubble of tech and dev and product, it's very difficult to sell them why they need a coach and why they need marketing help. And as you know, John, indie developers despise marketing, and um, there's different tactics to go around it, but that arrogance, I can't combat that because, again, if you're not willing, if you're not open to getting help, coach is not for you. You need you need something more. Right. And I'm not a therapist.
1: All right, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's dive a little bit into your background, though, and what brought you to, to this point as the founder of Sparrow. So you said you've been making money online since you were 16. Uh, I guess what inspired you to start that and
0: how has your motivation evolved over time? Oh, this is an emotional story. Um, Yeah, so quick clarification. I did start making money when I was 16 online, but I did it for a few months and it worked and I just stopped. And then I started again uh, at the age of 25. Um, So... Yeah. So what happened is around that time, my parents were actually being going through a very tough time. They're going through a divorce, and this was me in Bangladesh where I was actually going. Um, and you know, I was a, like an A star student all throughout high school, not at a not a problem. But then I would come home and I see, I would think that my parents are running out of money, so I felt the pressure. And at the age of sixteen, to kind of do something about it. Obviously, you can't get a job in a terrible country at a 16-year-old unless, well, that's what shit you can. Um, but I couldn't because of whatever limitations. But the one thing that I was good at was computers. And I started playing computer games ever since I was sweet. So you know what? Let's try it out. Long story short, tried out a few things online. I somehow landed in an interesting marketing group called Maverick Moneymakers. And they basically had all these extensive videos on how to sell. I sat down, I literally went through all of these videos. I did exactly what the Tony could do. And somehow I was able to very interesting. I was able to use Yahoo Answers as an acquisition channel to sell phone spying software as an affiliate to clickfind.com. Very specific. I remember, I'll never forget, you know, I used to do all this work legit work. I used to post on Yahoo Answers provide fantastic responses. I was really smart at that time. And I remember I woke up one night and I opened up my ClickBank dashboard and it said, you know, sale sale, sale total 199 USD. To give you an idea, that's over 18 or 20,000 bucks back home, which is like unheard of, right? And to make 20,000 bucks back home, $100, at the age of 16, what, it took me, what, six months to learn, and I'm still in high school, that kind of opened up my brain a bit. Sometimes I look back and I regret, John, I was like, mom, if I'll just literally start to market it, 10 years later, I would be a fractional CLR. If you, really think about it. you know, that's how I see it. But yeah, that's how it all started, Inception. All right, so uh,
1: the second part of that question, uh, obviously the, the the motivation at the start was to make some money. Uh, has that yeah. motivation evolved since then? Is, is, that's still your primary driver or something bigger.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm a very open guy and you know I'm one of the guys I follow a lot as a Chamat Allah. Um shout out to the uh, folks at uh Chumak's team. But one thing that he talks about is he's very open about his past because it gives others the permission to reflect, think, and right? And I'm the same word as Chamat, I guess. I'm good guy. I like him. Um so Growing up, John, I was deprived of a few things in my personal, professional, educational life. They're very specific. I don't think I was getting enough attention. I don't think I felt important. I felt very poor compared to the other students because my parents spent all their money in my education. You know, shout out mom and dad. So you sent me to a high school where kids would soon me rich, right? They would come in like world voices and all of that. In a third world country can you believe that anywhere and so seeing that made me kind of realize holy ass like i really need to grow and become like that so fortunately or unfortunately i'm still the same guy i look at Bentley suvs on the street where i live today in toronto every week it's just there i see ferrari's lambos every week because it's right in front of my house where i live in Toronto. And so no, I'm still the same guy. I still seek title and money. But the one thing that's changed on significantly is my intention to serve clients to the best of mobility has skyrocketed. Like my intention, the integrity that I serve clients with. And honestly, you know, if you go to sparrowstartup.com love, you'll see a list of tweets and these testimonials from all these customers who've worked with us, right? Because I still keep in touch with them. I always check in with them. And even when you're a customer at Barrow or my other business hires CMO, every one of the two weeks I check in and I say, guys, like, hey, is this coach useful? Is this coach wasting your time? And same with the others, Said, hey, Mr. CMO and coach, is this founder even doing what you're discussing with him? Like, what's the situation, All right. So same motivations, but I've learned to kind of follow the giants of the world, like Chamath and all of these guys to really mimic how they've reached success. And it's always the number one thing, John, which is serving customers to the highest level of integrity possible. So, yeah. Still was in that.
1: Fantastic. All right. Let's dive into product market fit a little bit since that is your main offer at Sparrow. And uh, I guess since I've been working with product and, and startups, this term seems more and more nebulous to me. I'm not sure... I, People say it's dead. People say it's the only thing that matters. People have all sorts of opinions about it. So let's start simple. Uh, how would do you define product market set?
0: Oh, okay. Um, maybe let me provide some context for the audience here as well. So, you know, Mark Andreessen first coined the term PMF, I think, 10 20 years back. He said that there's times when you can't really, sorry. You can feel and also not feel when there's product market fit. Um, and so, prior to, you know what, let me clarify. You can feel when you don't have product market fit, and you can also feel when you do have product market fit. When you don't have product market fit, John, you know, and it's very interesting because I'm in that intersection at Sparrow, right? Like, customers will come to me and I'll ask them, why are you here? They'll say, PMF. I'm saying, sure, let's dive into your product. Talk to me about your sales because your landing page makes no sense. Like, how is sales? They'll say, oh, i Customers don't know what they're talking, what we're doing on the discovery. Okay. Exactly. And then they, they'll say, yeah, you know, revenue, customers keep leaving, retention's bad. I don't know why they leave, right? And so all of these aspects of customers are understanding where your positioning is. Your messaging doesn't click with your uh, ICP, ideal customer profile. Your sales calls, and you know, people don't call you back. They don't want to have those next steps. They don't want. They don't want a follow-up call. The cold email outreach isn't working. When people do get onboarded onto your product, they don't use your product enough and they cancel two, three weeks in. They don't even want to get into the trial. These are all signs that something's broken in the overall health of your early stage startup or just your startup. And that's when you don't have product market fit. Now, Mark and several other people on Twitter, you know, the Twitter know it alls, will also say, well, when your product market fit, everything's breaking, there's way too much demand. That's true. But from a founder's perspective, John that doesn't mean What do you mean by supports what So if there's too many requests coming in wanting to hire more support people, is that a is that auto market fit? So qualitatively, PMF is when things are looking good for your business, like in one sentence and that can mean you have know, a healthy pipeline, Customers are intuitively understanding what your product does because your landing page is my state. Structured and all the words and copywriting make sense as you know, John. And then your salespeople, your product team, your marketing team, no matter how small or big your startup, they're all aligned on that messaging. And there's no confusion around what the customers think that you do, what your product actually does, and the results and the customer success that's actually happening because of it. Right. So now let me quantify it. Customer success is the number one indicator of product market fit, number one. Number two, the way you are able to quantify, or qualify customer success is retention. A lot of founders, and I actually took notes on this. A lot of founders, you know, they'll one product might get fit, and they'll start thinking about revenue growth. But the problem is, there's no point in acquiring more customers if they come into your house, they look around, and they leave in two, three, four. It doesn't make sense. And so, customer success retention. It's extremely, extremely critical. How do you make sure more of your customers are using the tool like they said they were? Is your hypothesis of how they said they should be using your tool, is it matching up with reality? Once you're able to kind of work towards that and make sure more of your customers are feeling successful, either in their relationships, you know, there's only three kinds of the products, health, wealth, and relationships. As long as you're able to upgrade these three things Significantly more when customers buy your product. That's an indicator of customer success, aka potentially better retention, aka a good indicator of product market fit. Now, here's the catch that's a lagging indicator. A leading indicator, and this is directly from, you know, VC for a very detailed um, book on this or on book on this, and I have some notes here. The leading indicator of product market fit is actually measuring their involvement in the, in, in the user cohorts that you get So the equation for this has three variables. What percentage of our users are able to achieve how many events within X amount of time? So what percentage of our users are able to achieve a number of events within a specific range of time? As an example, let's talk about Zoom. For Zoom, it would be Let's say 50% of all the users who signed up in January have at least 20 meetings within the 30 or 40 day period, right? So this is, this is it's like a hypothesis, right? And then over time, you have to measure if you're actually reaching those goals or reaching those metrics. And when we're talking about the percentage of users in this sentence, right, the first variable, generally, you'd want 60 to 80% all your your entire user cohort base to be accomplishing those events within the timeframe. And the timeframe is usually from 30 and 90 days. And what you're really measuring in the long run, John, is, again, how many of our users are sliding their customer success by accomplishing this specific number of tasks within this specific time period. And over time, the user interviews that you do, the discovery calls that you do, the product features that you make, build, you know, the, the support system, support ticket system that you're building. All of it should help accomplish these metrics and bring them higher and higher. Anything and everything else in your business that you think will help you to get to product market sit needs to be uh, kind of validated if it actually will. And if it doesn't, that's priority number two. And that's where the long-term stuff comes in, right? So SEO is a long game, as we all know. Um, and there's a few other aspects to building a business that are more long-term, right? So Learning to prioritize fast-track department fit, as we say to Sparrow, is uh, what we do, and it's it's really fun working with tremendous amounts of founders to our coaches.
1: Awesome. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your journey with Sparrow towards product market fit. Uh, how has it been so far? And also, since you provide mentors and coaches to other founders, did you have some that really helped you along your way?
0: Yeah, so this is a, this is a tricky question. So. To does sparrow today a product market fit? I want to say no. However, what I'm sa- what I'm seeing, which is a really good indicator, is that whenever a founder does sign up, they stay for a very really long time. Like they stayed I don't want to give the answers to my competitors, but they stay for months. Which is super interesting because it shows that they're getting value over a long period of time. And, you know, looking back at my own metrics and my own equation, you know, what percentage of my users are accomplishing what events in what amount of time at the time is 90 days and the events is like phone calls or emails and the percentage of, percentage is extremely high. And yeah, it's, it's actually really interesting. I'm just thinking a lot. I, I didn't take notes in this. Yeah. Interesting. I still want to say I don't have market fit. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, but yeah, the, the. Signups that I do have every month, they stick around for a really long time. And you know, I was gonna say, John, like it's such a fucking privilege to see these founders build because I get to see the insides of their product. I get to see what their teams building, what features, what are their marketing channels, like their whole shebang, right? And it's so fascinating how people are building. up. Right now, I can see literally what trends are happening and what where founders are building. And right now, it's consumer. It's uh, the creator economy. Like it's booming. People are building serums for creators. Um, the other day, confidentiality, but I, I can't really say much, but oh, I mean, never, never mind. It's, it's super interesting, right? All of these different aspects. And people always say, well, Match, why don't you just stop for you? while just uh, use your own code just to see you get your market fit. So because um, I actually onboarded the coaches, they have been extremely kind to like, dedicate hours and hours of their time to me. Again, as the founder, I get access to like the brightest coaching for practically free. So I'm very respectful of their time. I don't usually talk to them too much other than email, but they have been instrumental. And I can't—it's it it, like building the next iPhone team, t- like it's—it's it's a hack. um Same with higher CMO. I ask my—I ask my CMOs, hey, what copy should I put on the landing page? Again, it's like building the next Apple with Steve Jobs. You know, like. I'm selling what they're good at so they can tell me what works. And I'm just a sales guy. So it's fascinating. So the long story, sh- long story short, the answer is yes. Is it an instrumental in helping me figure out how to package our offers at fair, how to price it, how to sell it, and uh, what are some key points we can tell our customers. And I'm happy to kind of talk about um, some of the aspects around the inception of Starro and how it all started. Happy to talk about that as well later if you want.
1: All right. Uh, maybe we'll get into that, but uh, let's stick on product market fit for a little bit more because I feel like, well, first of all, it's a topic that I haven't covered in the podcast, so uh, and I feel like a lot of uh, founders find it interesting and important, as they should. So, uh, the founders that come to Sparrow, you already mentioned sort of a floor that you like to see them at, which is above five k MMR or MRR. Uh, what are, what are some of the most common struggles that that level of founders facing?
0: Yeah, I took notes on this one. So the first one is kind of alarming, which is accountability, which I find interesting. You know, it's not motivation, it's accountability. And that one's a very tricky one. When someone says they're struggling with accountability, I'm like, well, if you're not motivated enough to stick to your own goals for your own business, bringing in an external person. It, it's just like in taking an ad fill; like it doesn't fix the underlying issue or something wrong. Like how can you not be accountable to yourself building and your business? So that was a tricky one. But outside of all, um, it's very it's very simple. Number one is uh, it's very technical founders. So I'll have repeat product managers or you know developers or people who've done some sort of marketing in the past, but they don't really know what they're doing. And because they're so technical and they're extremely good at product. We just need someone else to kind of come in and take them out of their bubble a bit and show them a little bit how marketing and product should intertwine with their dev cycles, bones, their routines, et cetera, how to conduct these interviews. So number one is accountability, which is a bit alarming. Number two is um, the technical founders who don't necessarily understand how marketing works, what the cadence should be, et cetera. Um, number three is founders who've kind of reached a number, so five or ten or fifteen KMR, but then they're stuck. They have plateaued, they've been at that level too long. And because they have maybe, you know, I don't want to say South Tree, but maybe because they've used one acquisition channel for so long and they're so used to it. Now they're looking to explore a second channel like SEO or social media and they're kind of they don't know what direction to take. That's another time um these founders really need some models, right? But this is where I as the founder sitting between Sparrow and CMO, actually ask and dissect the founder's problems. And if I feel like their budgets are lower and it's a bit more around product and marketing, then I send them to Sparrow. If I feel like they need some of the people who work for them and provide them with the intensive marketing advisory, then I send them to CMO. So that's simple. it was.
1: Right on. And I guess we'll get into marketing a little bit now. So we're big proponents of uh, building in public. Uh, that's probably how we got in touch with you. Uh, do you do you think that this uh, approach is a requirement for founders today? And I guess the follow up would be, what role does that have in reaching
0: product market fit? Gotcha. So, in my opinion, okay, I'll give you my opinion later, But you know, the, there's a common opinion on Twitter where people say that, well, if you're building in it public, and you're just grifting. You know, it's just a way of kind of uh, telling the world about your product over and over again without being too annoying. And in reality, that's true. I agree. That, quite frankly, that is my opinion. So, but the thing is, I highly, highly, highly recommend building in public for early stage founders because number one, and I've been taught this by my coach who scaled two startups to seven figures in six months and eight months. And guys like retired, he's like in his 30s. Anyway, he's my coach. So, He told me, mash feedback and iterative feedback on your messaging, your copywriting, your product, your marketing is essential. And that's the lean startup mindset, right? Like you want to test a lot, small, iterative tests on your product and marketing and copy as much as you can, spending as less money as you want, targeted towards your audience. And so testing stuff that probably will work on your target customers fast that's how you build a stunning. And so build in public is the answer to that. We can be shameless about it. We can post if you if you can't find a customer success person, hire any big hashtag building public. I have even seen videos, one guy on Twitter. I'm not gonna need one. he He's moderately successful, but holy crap, this shit shows up on my feet every day. I'm like, man. So were like, oh, my MR increased by ten dollars today. I never thought this was possible. I'm like, but two weeks ago you said the same thing about your MR. Can you stop? Yeah, and he's gonna post like screenshots of his MR chart. I'm like, this guy makes more money than me. I'm jealous. At the same time, I'm annoying, but I still respect him a lot for the hustle. Like, I don't know what to say. So, yes, build in public, highly recommended if you're an early stage founder. Um, go on Twitter, easy traffic. I started from zero followers. Now I'm at like a thousand. I hustled my way up. I'm followed by GPs at Supply. I'm followed by Jason Calatunas. But it's a fucking hustle. But the moment you keep doing it, building and public and i to your question about part of marketing gift a bit, building in public gets eyes on after we're talking to your audience. And depending on the responses, the comments, the likes, you get to make a judgment call on how effective this messaging is. And so over time, you get extremely smart because now you know what works and doesn't work with your audience. So when you're on these fucking sales calls, I mean, all these beautiful podcasts like this on beyond, or when you're just speaking to other founders, you know the keywords that work. You know that tweet that got 300 likes versus the one that didn't. So when you're able to use those words in your conversations, meaning people get what you do better because you literally got A-B test product market feedback, uh, audience feedback. You're able to kind of use that in your language and messaging, which will help you get to which product fit. And quick uh, story here. When I first started Sparrow, John, um, I'm happy to tell you how I got all of these coaches to like join me because that was a like, huge. Yeah, I even, t- even that's just, like, I even messaged like Ryan Hoover, product time. I made a five minute video from this guy. Ryan, you're the best. This is why you need to join me. Guy never replied. I messaged him like three more times. He's like, Hey, man, sorry for the long wait. This is amazing. Thank you so much for putting in effort. But no, right? So I've been through that hustle. And the thing is, in the beginning, coming back to being in public. My messaging on my landing page it was so trash, obviously, and I got conversions. But then all the time after I got market fit, I built in public. You know, I would just put a screenshot on my land, on my H one, my header. No one liked it. I mean, okay, maybe no one really understands what I'm doing. They want my unique. And then over the time, now I say product market fit coaching. But if you look at WaybackMachine.com and we have had the first day at inception for Sparrow, it said like mentoring for startups. What the fuck does that mean? Right? So, yeah, definitely go build in public as much as you can. It gets you a lot of feedback very fast. And do you get on so many people's live feed over and over again. It builds awareness of your product in their heads as well. right? And that's what I'm trying to do with Hire, CMO, and Sparrow as well. I'm always on everyone's timeline. I tweet 20, 10, 20 times a day. And it's working. You know, people are like, dude, I see all the time. What's wrong with you? Always. All right
1: uh let's talk a little bit about pacing now for starters because it seems like things are moving at warp speed things are moving faster uh does the same apply to product market fit can founders find or reach product market fit faster and you talked about some of the leading and lagging indicators earlier are there any others that you'd like to add into this current situation
0: I'll answer your second question first. So no, you know, like measure retention well, have user interviews with new prospects, understand their problems better. And John, I have a PDF on those user interview questions. i am happy to share after the call. Um, But those are for prospects. For current customers, you know, have those conversations with, develop those relationships with their early adopters, truly understand what their problems are and are not what you're solving and what you're not solving. So retention is more critical than growth. Um, in, at least in the short run short term well early days especially that being said um, in regards to the fast pace of PMF and all of that that's a loaded question I'm not sure I have the accurate answer to this because there's certain nuances but I will tell you this thing fastest way to develop your business like as a small business the number one thing that you have the edge is fucking execution speed of execution do a lot, measure how much it really impacts your product-market fit goals, but do a lot, test a lot, A-B test, and see what works, and then double down on what works. One hack that I was taught by my coach, and this is worth. And it's very expensive advice, but it works. Throw $20 at Facebook ads. Don't worry about bringing people to your website. It doesn't matter where they go. But spend $20, have three variations of the product offering. For me, it could be startup mentoring, for startup founders the second ad could be coaching for new technical developers and the third one could be could be how an indie developer can be a CEO of a seven million dollar company so you'll notice these are very different kinds of ads but the idea is to test different messaging on your Facebook ads for 10 20 30 dollars at it at a time select the right audience you're displaying the actor you do not, Mister Foundry, if you listen to this podcast, you do not have an excuse to tell me I'm not a graphics designer. Canva makes it very easy. Canva.com, free account, get a black background, yellow text. You know, put in your wording. Make sure the total text doesn't take up more than twenty percent of the actual ad, because then otherwise you get it messed up. Put these ads up, putting out there, and just test and get a thousand views on each of these ads over time on look at the CTR on Facebook ads. Look at CTR bracket all. And the ads that are getting a higher percentage are the ones that are more attractive to your target audience. So out of the three, the third one about 80 developers being 7 million to founders, if that caught my CTR, double down on that. And again, um, find variations of that. And so to answer your question again, like with the fast pacemen, the number one way to speed up or keep up with the of market fit pace is really do more and test more and do it quicker than others. Facebook ads, building in public and having detailed user interview discussions is the fastest way to do that. Um, i not sure I answered your question, but these are some tips, actionable tips that I think founders can kind of utilize to keep up in the rules.
1: For sure. Yeah. Sounds uh, thoughtful and actual. All right. Uh, I wanted to go back a little bit to, I guess this isn't so much about accountability, but um, building in public and the challenges that the founders face. So, uh, on twitter in building public you mentioned the guy posting mrr all the time like there are a lot of uh success stories that sort of rise to the top of that timeline um uh, and specifically i'm thinking about people like um nikita this nikita guy who builds the viral teenager apps and exits oh, all yeah. mm-hmm. after three months and does it again every five years yeah. Yeah. right uh so my line of thought here is success doesn't really have an upper bound. Like these, these wins can get bigger and bigger to infinity. It seems so uh, keeping that in mind, like how do, how do you coach founders to set ambitious goals, but also to, to feel some level of success with what they achieve along the way. And, and more about that feeling than about the raw numbers that they, they get. Because it can either it can be a grind to read this stuff all the time and think, "Shit, my startup is not doing
0: that." Oh, dude, I feel it all the time. Like, due to give you some ideas, uh, my competitors make like millions of dollars in annual revenue. I don't. Right? It's kind of disparaging, right? Especially for ambitious people who ultimately end up building companies. I've thought about it in preparation for this podcast, John, and the answer to that is the way I see it: attach numbers to your actions. And focus on how you can kind of get to higher numbers faster. What I've seen a lot of people do, which is obviously, I guess, the only goal, which is if someone's at 2,100 MRR, they'll say, you know what? Goal for the next two months is to be at 3,000. MRR. Someone's at 4,000, they'll say, my next goal is 5,000. MRR. And then they're going to update their Twitter bio. I'm like, well, so, I mean, I get it, but I have those goals as well. But the problem with that is you don't feel shit when you're at that goal. You know, I had 20x revenue from a very small number. I had 20x revenue last year, uh, revenue slash V, so total transaction bump, that fun. And I 20 X it and I reached the number. I'm like, yeah, I don't feel shit. Like, I go just the other end, and I it. It's cool. Now I got to reach 100K now. So my goal for this year is 100K. I'm telling you, we're like 100K, like I'll reach it. And I'll be like, all right, cool, 1 million. It doesn't mean anything, right? That's the real thing, I think. But. My caveat there, slash my tactic there, is I ask myself, well, I have these 900 things to do. Which of these has the highest potential revenue increase attached to it? Okay, it's these two things. That's fantastic. If I do this, I might get $5,000 more if I do this, I might get $10,000 more ideas. Now, let's look at effort and resources and time. The first one, 10,000, might take me more time. Maybe these are long term relationships and partnerships I have developed, might take six months. If I did something like SEO, which just again, takes a long last time, but the $5,000 one might take less resources, might just save maybe two weeks of all time. This is, again, our imaginary scenario. But attaching numbers of revenue to your actions, number one. Number two is seeing how it aligns to the product market fit, as we talked about earlier. And number three is asking yourself, what are my resources and time constraints that I have to actually achieve these two goals? That is so much more. What's the word? That is such a better use of your time, when you're time. and your founding team's time, in as opposed to looking at big baloney numbers and saying, "Oh, I want to be a two mil, three mil, four Duh, right? Like you obviously want to grow, but don't get too bogged down, bogged down with these kinds of arbitrary numbers because it is what it is, right? And the last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, I've seen Zhang Yinfuk on Twitter. Do this. Is that on on his website? He, I think, he's still an open startup. So he has these like MRR numbers and he has like products, right? So not like a motorbike and he can see each five MRR. it's gonna say, Oh, now I can afford this motorbike, right? So as a founder, we all want shit. Let's be honest, and those one bake homes, I want a Bentley and SUV. we all have this, right? Maybe you can attach that to your personal life and say, you know what, I want to go out, not look at the price and order food at a restaurant. That means I should be able to spend two hundred dollars, meaning my MRR has to be at 10,000. That will make you feel more awful and wholesome. Actually, that's how I would. As opposed to just chasing numbers because like, ladies and gentlemen, that journey never ends. The goalpost always moves forward. And if it doesn't, you're not ambitious enough. So no, yeah, that's how I see it.
1: Awesome. All right. Let's put a wrap on the product market fit conversation and switch into a little bit about higher CMO and then wrap it up because I don't want this to be a mammoth Episode, but uh, I would love to have you back on in the future after we do some things together with momentum and grit and, and all of those things. So, uh, hire CMO is your answer to having a fractional CMO. And I guess um,
0: describe that process a little bit and uh, who's it for? Absolutely. Hired CMO is for startups who need fractional chief marketing officers to come in and upgrade their marketing and i've done a ton of user interviews for this it's, it's insane so when a founder you know needs to bring in oh i like the truth is startups should never work with mediocre marketers it's just not cool you're gonna waste your funded mo- funding money on like quite literally dumb people who don't know what they're doing they're just charlatans if you're not a marketer by trade you don't know how to filter these people it's a vicious cycle of garbage where you don't know how to filter people they do media your work you think it's good and you try it you don't get results and you keep doing that until you spend like 20 30 40 kin. and you're like well oh shit!" what i've done is i've kind of tried to hack that and now you can bring on fractional chief marketing officers who have done this multiple times have 20 years of experience my CMOs work at Hootsuite, Pro Flexbook, Salesforce. They have sales playbooks, they have PTC startups, they're founders themselves. They don't need your money, but they're doing it because it's their shit. Bring them in for a monthly subscription price, either in a coaching capacity where every week they're just giving you advice and kind of being your sounding board, or have them officially join your team for anywhere between 5 to 50 to 20K a month, depends on where you are, to literally do the work for you and your team. Let them train your people. Let them build out your campaigns. Let them tell you how you should design your cold email, your SEO, your paid media, or paid ads campaigns on Google, etc. cetera. Don't waste time spinning your wheels, trying to learn completely new fields. Bring in experts for a month, two months, three months, spend 20K, but then have everything done for you. That's how I see it. And that's who it's for, either for funded startups or for very, um, you know, Talented product and dev teams who don't necessarily have any marketing expertise on their team. That's full.
1: Right on. Uh, and I guess you covered this quite a bit with the the, the wheel of non functional marketing leaders. But um, what I've seen and what I've read is that CMOS have one of the highest uh, turnover rates for C level people in startups and maybe even in big tech companies as well. Uh, so, do do you have any other thoughts as to why this might be? and why fractional might be a better option. Yeah, I thought of this, and I
0: was like, wow, I don't have an answer. I Googled a bit. I looked at some articles, and obviously they don't have answers. Either. It's just SEO optimized, which is kind of sad. So what I'll do is I actually do a ton of user inter- uh, CMO interviews. I actually have like 10 coming in the next four or six weeks. I'm going to pop this question in that blog. I'm going to ask the actual CMOs, and I'll get back to you on this. I really want to know why like, 10 years low... Um, yeah, it's it's not just marketing, right? Like, fraction was a trend across technical information, marketing, et cetera, different domains. Um, but yeah, the TLDR, I also think, John, is also because of the economy that we're coming into now, where it does, marketing is the first function that always gets impacted because, in my opinion, it's just hard to measure results and pr- present it in a quantifiable and defensible way to investors on the board. So yeah, like, with the recession coming in, it just makes sense to hire someone for 4K, 5K a month as opposed to just, Hiring a full-time executive for six figures, getting them dental and insurance benefits, but where recession? Hold on. So, I think that might be one of the leading reasons. I'm not sure. All
1: right. Well, I look forward to seeing what you find out from the CMOS themselves. All right, but we're going to wrap up a little bit and talk about. Uh, first of all, where you are? You mentioned you're in Toronto. Uh, what's the startup scene like there? And uh, are you, you know, active with the community? Yeah. Founders or
0: people there? <sighs> Sorry to disappoint you, man. But no, I'm, I'm a homebody. I just like to sit home and work on stuff around here. So I'm committed. So I rarely go out. But when I go out, like I'm, I'm an animal, man. Like I talk to every freaking founder on the floor. Like if you're a founder, you better talk to me. I'm that guy. So TLDR, no, I don't go out enough. But it's certainly something I'm looking to change this year. Um, Toronto apparently has a nice founder community, but it's definitely not as vibrant as NYC or LA.
1: Right. That makes sense. I guess that, that answers my follow-up question, which was how important is a local startup community? Uh, we've all gotten used to this sort of Zoom back and forth in the global network of Twitter and, and webinars and things. But um, it is nice every once in a while to, to, to sit down
0: side by side and have a beer and talk to people exactly yeah, and you know i'm am I'm i don't want to say i'm a touchy person but i'm kind of guy who likes to like, pat people on the back but like hey man i'll you later you know like shake hands because we're coming out of the zoom era and COVID era where everything was local remote like this when you shake someone's hand now i get a dopamine hit i'm like shit this person's real right and when you're building relationships as a founder all is important because that's how they remember you and it's much easier to be a trace of you in their mind in person as opposed to a zoom call, which had they have twenty of every bit, right?
1: Right on. All right. So uh, what's up next for Sparrow? Can you tease anything that you're excited about launching or changing or
0: Yeah, dude, absolutely. So oh, oh. still in the works, but I don't want to kind of run the surprise. I don't I'm not superstitious. I'm a little superstitious. But um yeah, so what what I'm trying to do now, man, is really number one so, I just launched Higher CMO, like it's still a baby. I'm really trying to better understand the market for Higher CMO. Um, for Sparrow, what I'm trying to do is like sponsor some ads on some newsletters here and there to, again, get more high quality inbound traffic, because I think that's where I'm lacking a little bit. Um, but then towards the end of the year, I want to hit 100K total GNV, gross market volume, meaning total transactions across both of these platforms. So I'm doing what I just preached on this prod- podcast, which is what can I do to get closer to PNA? Or what can I do? How much revenue, potential cash is attached to that action? What are my resources today? AKA it's just me. What can I execute ASAP to get to that highest revenue tomorrow? So just working through a few of these ad sponsorships, partnerships to make sure that I increase the pipeline coming into Sparrow. Um, and working with people like yourself and uh, the brand, in Parallel, to really support founders to go to market quickly and defensively and ultimately build that moat around them so that they can be successful.
1: All right. So speaking of, of working with us, you've had chats with Igor, with Dimitri, with Pavel, uh, also with Chris from the Midas Accelerator Uh, can you give us a peek or some ideas uh, of how that collaboration might move forward?
0: Absolutely. So before I even say that, I just want to say, man, like with your team at Parallax, I don't know what the hell it is, but you guys all have this fantastic fucking energy. And I hate the word energy, but the word is actually is energy. Like it's this fucking vibe. Like, I don't know what you guys do or where you guys eat in the morning. But whenever I talk to you guys, I am never bored. I see like we're going to like Real shit together. It's this energetic, refreshing, sobering feeling. Whenever I talk to you guys over video, like Chris had it, Pavel had it, Eagle had it, you have it, Dimitri has it. It's insane. So, honestly, being fully transparent, we, the, the Paralyte team and I, like we have an idea of what our partnership would look like just to support founders to get very confident about their go to market strategy. Because again, remember, my coaches and my CMOs are veterans. They have 10, 20 years of experience of building, building shit, taking it to market in the scrappiest way possible, doing a lot with less money and actually being successful. They have playbooks and it works. So now we're kind of plugging these brains into the paralyct and Midas and Accelerator, sorry, the Midas, paralyct and Momentum ecosystem to just supercharge these founders so they're able to sell more faster and learn how to do it. And so, as you know, probably, John, we're still figuring out the details around that. But honestly, man, I don't give a shit what we do as long as we do it together. Like, the energy that you guys have is so priceless. Who cares what we do? I just want to be around you guys, you know? So that's the truth of it. I love awesome. you guys very much, because it's been, it's been fantastic. And I'm very grateful to have
1: you Awesome. Well, that is amazing to hear. And I got to say, you're bringing the energy right back on this call. And I'm sure you do with the other guys as well. So, uh, I'm really excited to see what happens with Momentum, with NanoGrit, with the Midas Accelerator, uh, because I feel like, yeah, what you said, bringing those brains into sort of our product expertise and our uh, development expertise is one of the missing pieces that could really supercharge what we do in the next six months, in the next year. So really excited. Awesome. Uh, anything else
0: that you want to share with us before we wrap up? If you want to reach part of my defeat from top to knee. Um, but outside of that, no, man. I'm just very grateful to be to have been a part of this podcast. And John, thank you so much for organizing it. And uh yeah, great hosts. I enjoyed it very much.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. I will drop links to Sparrow, to your Twitter, to all the places that people should reach you in the show notes of this episode. And other than that, have an amazing Friday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for joining in. Fantastic. Thank you.